Support for IPR comes from Corridor Vein Center and Corridor Aesthetics, treatment for varicose veins and spider veins, also providing facial rejuvenation services and treatment for moderate to severe acne. More at Corridor Vein and CorridorAesthetics.com. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. The Broadway revival of the classic show, The Music Man, starring Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster, made waves and won awards for the duration of the show. Here's Hugh Jackman from the cast recording. And listen to some big out-of-town Jasper telling them all about horse race gambling. Not some wholesome trotting race, no, but a race where they sit down right on the horse. Like to see some stuck-up jockey boys sitting on Dan Patch. Make your blood boil, well, I should say. Now, friends, let me tell you what I mean. You got one, two, three, four, five, six pockets in a table. Pockets that mark the difference between a gentleman and a bum with a capital P. And that rhymes with P and that stands for pool. When The Music Man originally hit Broadway in 1957, it was an instant success. It won the Tony Award for Best Musical, beating out West Side Story. And the motion picture that followed in 1962 made it an indelible part of popular culture. Meredith Wilson grew up in Mason City, Iowa, and he wrote the book, the lyrics, and the score for The Music Man that cemented his fame with that extraordinary feat. But there is a lot more to Meredith Wilson, and a new documentary from Iowa PBS fills in a lot of the blanks. Meredith Wilson, America's Music Man, debuts statewide on Iowa PBS on February 28th, but this weekend, in-person audiences in Mason City and Iowa City can get a preview. You can still reserve a spot in the audience for those events, and you can find out more at iowapbs.org. Iowa PBS is an underwriter of IPR. With me now is Tyler Brinninger. He is the producer of Meredith Wilson, America's Music Man. Hello, Tyler. Hi, Charity. How are you? I am great. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. And now you are an Iowa boy. I was a little stunned to discover, Tyler, that you were not familiar with the Music Man before you decided to make this documentary. You know, I had seen uh, in, in school, I was in musicals growing up, but I grew up uh, near Missouri in Appanoose County outside of Centerville. And I guess Mason City is about as far away as you could get from, uh, you know, Centerville. So we watched it in school when we were evaluating musicals. And I remember, you know, the movie's about two and a half hours long. And if you divide that across 45-minute class sessions, I think it might have taken the whole week. And I, I guess the uh, instructor noticed we lost steam because I don't think we finished the film, <laughs> oh, to be honest no. with you. Yeah. Oh, gosh, that's blasphemy. So- <laughs> <laughs> You're right. <laughs> so uh, because Meredith Wilson is such an icon in Iowa, and we will talk more about that and what it means as the hour goes on, I was also surprised to discover that Iowa PBS hadn't tackled a documentary about Meredith Wilson before. What mm-hmm. made now the right moment? Well, I think that the revival on Broadway... Uh, surely is the impetus to get us, you know, interested in this. Um, you raise a great point. It hadn't been done before, and um, we looked a little bit into it. And, you know, I'm lucky to work at Iowa PBS where there's a 50-year history of producers who have um, looked into projects, tried to jumpstart them, and sometimes they go all the way and sometimes they hit a roadblock. And uh, my colleague there, Judy Blank, hooked me up with a former producer uh, named Nancy Heather Brown, And I had lunch with her, and she had done a bunch of research, and she made this fantastic segment on a show we used to do called Living in Iowa. And uh, she had tried to make that into a full documentary. But at the time, Wilson's uh, widow, Rosemary, was still alive, and she kept very tight control of Meredith's stuff. And also, um, to license the music that you have to uh, to do this film right, 
you know, you got a lot of big songs there, to be honest yeah. with you. And it, it would take a lot of money. And I think they found at the time it was a preventative, uh, cost preventative, prohibitive. And so um, we were able to kind of take that project on and, and really go for it this time. Well, and, and when his uh, third wife died, she donated his music and his songs to the Great American Songbook Foundation. So I can imagine that there's a, a just a treasure trove of information available now, so at least since her death in 2010, that You've just wasn't it. available before. You've got it. Um, Michael Feinstein who we interviewed in this film, is the founder of the Great American Songbook Foundation there in uh, Carmel, Indiana, which is a suburb of Indianapolis. And they've got, you know, all of the files basically from Meredith's home, uh, music, um, pictures, uh, letters, uh, telegrams, you know, exchange, uh, correspondence with presidents, things like that, that I was able to poke through um, under the guidance kind of of um, another subject in our film, Dominic Broomfield McHugh who is a musicologist from England who recently wrote a book about Meredith Wilson. So I did. I also grew up in Iowa a little before you, Tyler, mm-hmm. but um, and was very familiar with The Music Man growing up. But I grew Good. up in Cedar Falls, which is closer to Mason City. So maybe, okay, you bet. <laughs> maybe you bet. that's my excuse. Shortcut. I thought we were all supposed to know Tyler, though. I think but... <laughs> now I, I agree with you, and, I, and you're right. Maybe I was a little behind the eight ball there. But that doesn't mean I knew anything about Meredith Wilson beyond the fact that he wrote The Music Man and was an incredibly gifted musician. And you do go back and, and tell us the story story of this man. He grew up in Mason City, Iowa, and something I was surprised to learn was that he was in a really big hurry to leave Mason <laughs> City. But uh, he did he did receive a pretty incredible music education in Mason City, largely because of his mom. Tell me more about that. You bet. His mother was a huge influence on him, and you can't escape that. Um, as a storyteller, Meredith Wilson, this was kind of one that falls out of the sky, Um his mother, these characters recur. His mother was a, just a giant influence on him. He had a tough relationship with his father. And so his mother was a taskmaster. She taught kindergarten there in Mason City. She spent 30 years as the Sunday school superintendent. Um, so very much on top of things and, um, you know, really made sure her kids were educated as well as uh, music, as well as academics. And he carried her with him, that influence through his life, you know, a lot of these things, he, he he wrote songs in his free time. He was maybe working in radio by day, and he spends his evenings writing a symphony. I think those are habits that he learned at a young age. And he was a, an extraordinary musician. He played the flute, he played the piccolo, he played other instruments mm-hmm. as well, but I think was probably most famous for the flute and the piccolo. He mm-hmm. went to New York City, and he ended up studying at Juilliard. I mean, he, he really took a classical music path. Pretty incredible. And and some of that belies how we think of him and how we know him as sort of the country bumpkin persona. Um, yes, he, Which he, he cultivated, and we'll talk about right. that a little bit more later. To his advantage, I think. Right. You're right. But you're right. It's neat how, in my opinion, it's neat how he's not just kind of doing this country bumpkin music. He's got a lot of um, knowledge behind it. And he his tricks are motivated by knowledge. And he goes to New York. He... Um, makes a cold call, as I say in the film. I could never nail down how exactly he met Georges Barrère, who's a famous French flutist, uh, flautist, however you like it. And uh, he, he took lessons from him, and Barrère taught at the Damrosh Institute of Musical Art, which is now known as Juilliard. And we were able to go to Juilliard, and they have all of his manuscripts, Meredith Wilson's manuscripts. And we, with Dominic, um, who I mentioned earlier, who's the subject in the film, 
We turned page by page and looked through a lot of this music and learned about Meredith through his writing, which was really kind of a fascinating experience for me. So he played with the Sousa, the John Philip Sousa band, which mm-hmm. um, was he was the soloist for the John Philip Sousa Incredible. band. So he, extraordinary. His brother also played with the band. And, and I think a lot of people know that part of the Meredith Wilson lore. But mm-hmm. the things that I didn't know, I didn't realize that he played with the New York Philharmonic. I didn't right. realize that he went to San Francisco and mm-hmm. he became the youngest conductor of the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra and actually wrote symphonies debuted his own symphony with the San Francisco mm-hmm. City or Symphony Orchestra. So he really had this incredible career in classical music that that was set to reach stratospheric heights. And but mm-hmm. that wasn't all he wanted to focus on, was it? No, it wasn't. And and I think um as I said before, it's neat how this stuff recurs at different periods of his life. Um obviously I think Sousa People might be more familiar with that one because of 76 trombones, right? He calls back to it in his most famous work. Um, the classical stuff, it bears out in different ways. Um, he, he's, he's super accomplished. Um, he's very ambitious. He writes, these, he writes two symphonies. But prior to that, he's uh, leading an orchestra in Seattle. And it's possible that um, – I don't want to get ahead of your questions here, but he gets this career in radio. And as one of my subjects said to me, uh, Valerie Austin – Uh, who's a historian and wrote her dissertation on Meredith Wilson, she said he's finding that he's making money in the radio studio during the daytime, Uh, you know, and during the evening when people are laughing, when they're sponsors, right? Uh, And so this passion he has for this classical music, this background, it sort of takes a backseat to where he's really finding traction and making progress uh, in his career. Let's play a little clip from the documentary. This is, it starts with an excerpt from the Maxwell House Good News NBC radio <laughs> show, and it's followed by narration by Sutton Foster, who narrates the documentary. Let's, right. let's listen. Meredith, I can just picture you as a hunter. Oh, I sure am. I was a regular Nimrod back in Mason City. One season, I made my wife a fur coat from the game I bagged. Fur coat, huh? Red fox or silver fox? No, it was gopher. <laughs> gopher? Well, that's nice, hunting. Did you ever stalk any field mice? Well, you don't have to make fun of my hunting now. Oh, I'm only kidding, Meredith. He learned from the best in the business. Hello, Meredith. Hello, Jimmy. Now, what have you got to start us off with? Performing with Jimmy Stewart, Clark Gable, Joan Crawford, Judy Garland, and regulars Frank Morgan and Fanny Bryce. To the instrumental theme music he had written for the show, Wilson added lyrics and created his first hit as a popular songwriter, You and I. And we're going to hear a little bit of You and I in just a moment. But, I mean, Tyler, that gives us an idea. He was the director of the orchestra for that radio show, but he also acted on that radio show. And I I get the sense that he really loved being famous and interacting <laughs> with all of these incredible actors. Do you get that sense as well? I'm, I'm glad that's coming across, yeah. Um, one of my subjects, Bill Oates, who, who wrote a book on Meredith Wilson, he said to me that, um, you know, my generation and, and maybe his generation, we are used to a Paul Schaefer or a, um, you know, I'm blanking for examples, um, Colbert's... John uh, Baptiste. John Baptiste, thank you. We're used to the band leader also having a microphone, right? And right. being a character on the program who helps move it along, who adds humor, sometimes is the punchline. Um, at this time, when Wilson starts to sort of step into this role, the band leader really was just a band leader. And here we've got this guy from Mason City who can laugh at himself, who can put himself out there, who can roll with the stars... Uh, you know, he's performing with Clark Gable, Jimmy Stewart, Judy Garland. 
this is a guy who is an extrovert a little bit, who can hang with people and can make the audience respond to him. But in order to embody that, and here's here's my turn, in order to embody that role, you hear in that clip, he kind of has to play the Midwestern uh, boob in a little bit yeah, of ways. You know what I mean? For sure. Well, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in just a moment. We are going to listen to a little bit of You and I, which was a number one popular hit in the day for Meredith Wilson during those NBC radio days. I'm talking with Tyler Brinninger, who is the producer of Meredith Wilson, America's Music Man, which debuts statewide on Iowa PBS on February 28th. Support for IPR comes from Corridor Vein Center and Corridor Aesthetics, treatment for varicose veins and spider veins, also providing facial rejuvenation services and treatment for moderate to severe acne. More at Corridor Vein and CorridorAesthetics.com. The Garden Variety Newsletter brings the gardening community to you. Together, we'll learn about all things horticulture, celebrate our successes, and gather expert answers to your questions. Subscribe at IPR.org slash GV. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. This hour, we're learning about Meredith Wilson, one of Iowa's most famous sons and the man behind The Music Man. The new documentary Meredith Wilson, America's Music Man, debuts statewide on Iowa PBS on February 28th. But this weekend, in-person audiences in Mason City and Iowa City have the chance to be in an audience for a preview. You can still reserve a spot in the audience for those events. It is free to attend. You can find out more at iowapbs.org. Iowa PBS is an underwriter of IPR. And with me, Tyler Brinninger, senior producer and director at Iowa PBS and producer of this documentary. And so, Tyler, we got up to the point where Meredith Wilson is having now, after after having a classical music career, he has mm-hmm. moved over into popular culture, into mm-hmm. popular entertainment. He's working for NBC Radio. And then, of course, there's a big war. And the war shaped his career as well. Tell me uh, what he did during the war years. You bet. I, I think your framing is, is perfect. Um, one of the privileges of telling this story and working with this story is that it all happened in the backdrop of if, of you know the American century, if I can if I can say it that way. Yeah. Um, Wilson starts out in live music, right? Sousa in New York Philharmonic, and then broadcast radio comes on the scene, which we're we're speaking on right now. And he realizes that um, he can use music to grow with broadcast radio and reach people in their homes. Uh, all of a sudden, a war breaks out, and Meredith Wilson says, "You know, how can I use music to contribute to the war effort?" And they start the Armed Forces Radio Network. Uh, radio service, excuse me, AFRS. And uh, he becomes music director of the Armed Forces Radio Service. And um, he records up to eight shows a day. It's it's remarkable, onto disc. And they ship these all over the world to military bases uh, so that troops can uh, feel a sense of home, can get humor, can get music with some of the biggest stars of the time. And Wilson oversees all of that. And he also writes marches for several different uh, units in the, in the U.S. military mm-hmm. as well, which I, I know are songs that, that many people are familiar with. I, I think one of the interesting things about Meredith Wilson was before he wrote The Music Man, he was still, I mean, he was already really, really famous. You have all of these... <laughs> 
pictures in the documentary. You mentioned, you know, Clark mm-hmm. Gable and Jimmy Stewart and Louis Armstrong and Judy Garland. He's, you've got all of these pictures of him with some of the most pe- just incredibly famous mm-hmm. people of that day and age. He was obviously beloved. He, he was obviously somebody who, who was really extraordinary at what he did. He wrote a memoir about himself before he wrote The Music Man. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there was an appetite for, for more of this story, to know who this man was. What led him to decide that he would write a musical? Great question. You know, I think that um, th- there's this idea that, um, I read a quote somewhere, uh, genius is often confused for determination. And you you look at Wilson's life and career, and, and my entry point into this into this life story was The Music Man, of course, but the title of The Music Man is Meredith Wilson's The Music Man. And I remember always thinking, you know, you know, I'm used to seeing, for example, a film by Steven Spielberg. Well, I know who Steven Spielberg is because he's made dozens of other films. Uh, Meredith Wilson, I thought, it's interesting that his name's in the title, but I don't know anything else he's done. And you, you start to go back through his career. He had done a lot, and The Music Man really was the cherry on top of a long career. And um, by the mid-'50s, after the war... You know, he's had this great ride with radio. He's kind of left classical music behind him. Uh, aside from, I should mention this, it's not in the film, but he had little radio, pocket radio clips, which I'm sure you'd be familiar with, Charity. Weekend fillers, 15-minute slots, 30-minute shows on a Saturday night where he did classical music. So he always really prioritized music education. But by the mid-'50s, TV's coming on, and radio is changing from live bands to disc jockeys and RPM, uh, 45 RPM records. And Wilson finds himself kind of a, a man without a home. And um, he's encouraged by a lot of people to combine his, um, his skill with words, with lyrics, his skill with music, uh, and obviously his Iowa humor into a stage musical. And he's really ready for it at that time. And he wrote the book. He wrote the lyrics. He wrote the score. He did absolutely everything mm-hmm. other than the choreography, um, which is an incredible feat in and of itself. But, I mean, that was really unusual at that time. When we think about a lot of the great lyricists of the day and, and you know, composers of the day, their names come in twos. You're right. You know, Rogers and Hammerstein. But he did it all. You're right. He did. And he really, I think that was a point of pride for him. Um, and, and if you watch the film, uh, people listening... You'll see that that's also sometimes your point of pride is also your downfall. He really liked um, to take these things on. He liked to solve the problem himself. And in The Music Man, he dives into it and he spends probably five or six years um, trying to work this thing out. And some of that could be because he's doing it on his own. You know what I mean? He doesn't have that other perspective in the room to tell him this way, not that way. And maybe he gets lost at times. And there's a subplot some people might be familiar with where the music man started out centered around a disabled child, a kid in a wheelchair. And he tries to sort of um, find acceptance in his community through community band. It's really a touching story. Um, But all the way through, that subplot, that um, child in the wheelchair was distracting, in a sense, from the film and the story that we know now in the music man. And it really took courage for him to get over that. And he needed help from an outside uh, playwright, kind of a script doctor named Franklin Lacey. And if you look at the um, credits of The Music Man, even today it says story by Meredith Wilson and Franklin Lacey. So Wilson kind of kept him out of the um, spotlight a little bit, but he did need some help to get it across the finish line. Well, and in in the film, um, one of your guests shares that um, there were over 40 drafts of the book of (laughs) of The uh, Music Man. 
He wrote more than 50 songs for The Music Man, but of mm-hmm. course didn't use all of those songs. And, you know, it's just the, the process is pretty remarkable. You do a lovely deep dive into The Music Man. So people who are, are strictly fans of The Music Man are going to get a whole lot out of this film as well. And I learned a lot as somebody who has, you know, known that music mm-hmm. for as long as I can remember. And I, um, I want to play... Another clip from the film that made me think about the music in a brand new way. It's also a signature of Meredith Wilson. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. But we're going to listen to this clip where we learn a little bit about how the songs Goodnight My Someone and 76 Trombones are connected. And the person speaking is Susan Stroman. She was a Broadway director and choreographer. And she directed and choreographed the Music Man revival that happened in 2000. Let's listen. When I was a kid, I realized that 76 trombones and uh, Goodnight My Someone is the same song, but Goodnight My Someone is in three-quarter time. Goodnight, my someone, goodnight, my love. 76 trombones led the big parade with 110 cornets close at hand. Meredith Wilson was, was saying that this you know, Harold Hill would sing this like a march and strong and, you know, bold and brass. A star is shining its brightest She would sing the same song in three-quarter time, which was romantic and had a longing to it. For good All right, so... I, I, it had never occurred to me that those are the same song, <laughs> which is just remarkable. But it also, I mean, that's that's a theme that goes that we find again and again in Meredith Wilson's incredible career is that he also was really good at recycling. I mean, in that case, that wasn't necessarily recycling. That was mm-hmm. that was just a stroke of brilliance. But Invention, I mean, he yeah. just was such a, a master manipulator of his music. You bet. You bet. This is. It was so fun to do this story. If you're going to sink, you know, a year of your life into a story, um, I just couldn't be happier to do it with Meredith Wilson. Um, inventiveness, you know, there he's using two songs to say these characters belong together. Um, and, and could anything be more romantic than to, you know, put put that narrative into music and show like a puzzle piece, right, that these things go together. But to your other point, um, he didn't stand idly by and hope that the world happened to him. He put his in, uh, influence on the world. And in many cases, he had a song over here that he repurposed over here. And um, at the start of the film, Dick Scanlon, who wrote uh, Thoroughly Modern Millie, among other, other plays and musicals, said to me, um, you know, he was kind of like a Harold Hill. He was always out there. He was always kind of a mover and a shaker. And, you know, he certainly was not a dishonest person. He was not uh, selling a bill of goods or anything like that. Um, but he, he did what he had to do. And if he had something that could be repurposed or re-engineered to serve a new purpose, he would do that. And I think that kind of makes him a uh, lovable rogue in a way. Now, The Music Man really was the pinnacle of his career. And, I mean, it was a huge smash hit on Broadway. The film was a huge smash hit as well. It became synonymous with his name. But, of course, he was not done um, but mm-hmm. he failed to reach those mm-hmm. heights again, which is I, nothing to be ashamed of because right. the heights were so incredibly high. But for a man who had 
adjusted to every change in technology in his lifetime, who had adjusted to the changing tastes of his audience in his lifetime in a really masterful way. It does seem like he kind of lost the thread after mm-hmm. the Music Man and, and maybe didn't like where popular culture was going. Uh, great question. I, you know, there's there's two things I see here. First of all, when I learned that he wrote The Music Man, or at least that it debuted when he was 55 years old, that just was like a watershed moment for me. I think a lot of times you think of people's, you know, pinnacle work uh, in their 30s or something like that in their 40s. Um, 55, that's near retirement for most people. And he, here, here he does his main, his main uh, work that he would always be known for. And so a little bit, you can't let that go, right? If you're Meredith Wilson, you think, wow, I've got to hit this again. I've really found something. Uh, but there's a second tale there. Um, and I think this is the part for me that's timeless. You know, we all live in a changing sort of culture and media age. Every generation does. And there's a quote, um, Meredith hated rock and roll. And he hated, um, I shouldn't say he hated television, but I, there's a quote I found where he said, um, telev- he thought television was a passing fad because he couldn't imagine people would sit around all day and look at something. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? It is amazing. We're good at sitting around know, all day. Right? He thought that radio was active participation, active listening. And he didn't understand that TV would catch on. Uh, And then, you know, as I said, with rock and roll, he really thought it was simplifying music in a way that was not healthy. Um, That's kind of his term. Um, He he, he thought the parents who let their kids listen to rock and roll were to blame. And and obviously, I think we know now that um, he missed the mark on those, those two assessments. And I think that what he may have missed, I think he's right that rock and roll really does simplify music, but maybe he missed an expression that was coming about in the 60s that perhaps a lot of people in his generation missed. Right. He it may have simplified it, but he, yeah. he missed that it was good mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that people loved it. Right, I'm talking to Tyler Brinninger. We're talking about the new documentary, Meredith Wilson's America's Music Man. It debuts statewide on Iowa PBS on February 28th. Tyler is the producer of the documentary. And I, I want to bring uh, one of the, the people that you interviewed for the documentary mm-hmm. into the conversation. Of course, Meredith Wilson has always been as famous as a person could be. Um, um, in Mason City, Iowa, his hometown that he patterned River City on in The Music Man. Janice Rod is a staff member at Music Man Square in Mason City. Hello, Janice. Hello, Charity. Oh, thank you so much for being here. And Janice, I mean, for people who haven't been to Music Man Square, uh, this is a really fun place to visit. Tell me a little bit about it. It is a marvelous place to visit. And not that I'm biased or anything, <laughs> um, <laughs> but people actually do walk in the front door and their jaws drop. Uh, we have a replica of the movie set. So it's a block long streetscape. It's indoors, but it, you feel like you're outside. We have the Meredith Wilson Museum with many things um, from his home, things that Rosemary sent to us, uh, for instance, the piano he wrote The Music Man on, and just did a um, an exhibit of cartoons that had been done about Meredith. And you know you're famous when people start drawing caricatures of you. <laughs> <laughs> um, we also, next door to us is Meredith's boyhood home, where he was born and lived until he graduated from high school. It is a gorgeous old house. And we have many, many stories about Meredith and the whole family. 
And Janice, you have a personal connection to Meredith Wilson. You grew up in Mason City, at least from uh, 1967 on. And yes. you had an encounter with Marison, Meredith Wilson um, in 1976, the bicentennial of this country. Tell me about this encounter. <laughs> it was really amazing. I was 20 years old. And, you know, when you're 20, you think you know everything. And in reality, you're just sort of there. Um, he came to direct the municipal band. And the setting was just perfect for him. The park, the river, the old band shell, um, and all these local people um, in the band. So he gets up in the podium and he was maybe three or four feet in front of me. Um, He was a flute player. I am a flute player. And he, we were all just absolutely gawking at the poor man. Um, I I often wonder what it was he saw when he looked out (laughs) on that band. Just a lot of dropped jaws, right? (laughs) A lot of drop jaws and wide eyes and and how we actually played music, I have no idea. But um, we played one of his marches and, uh, of course, the Music Man arrangement, which if you're in the band in Mason City, any band in Mason City, that's one of the first things you see. Sure. Um, uh, And, you know, we knew that one pretty well. So we get to the end of that and he, I could not, you know, and couldn't believe this at the time. He stopped. He turned around to me and he said, may I see your flute? Um, you know, in this day and age, we'd probably do something like, are you talking to me? <laughs> but I, I, just, I was completely gobsmacked, handed over the flute. He was so charming. Um, he talked to me about the instrument. He's like, oh, this is a good one. And um, I, I wanted my dad to hear that. He had to pay for it. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, that goes. And just talked to me a little bit, talked to the crowd a little bit. And then, to cap it, played a little of Stars and Stripes Forever on my flute. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yes. <laughs> All right. um, yes, I still have the flute. <laughs> it, what, you know, what has stayed with me since that, I mean, this was almost 50 years ago, is was his manner. He was so charming. He was so personable, just so nice. Nice. Well, Janice, we have to take a short break. So we'll talk more in just a moment. And we're going to go out here with a very popular arrangement of one of Meredith Wilson's songs by a a band you might be familiar with, the Beatles, (laughs) of course. So, (laughs) right. Janice Rod is here. She's a staff member of Music Man Square in Mason City. And Tyler Brinegar, the producer behind the new documentary, Meredith Wilson, America's Music Man, which debuts statewide on Iowa PBS on February 28th. More in a moment. All around, but I never heard it singing. No, I never heard it at all till there was you. Green thumbs, gardening novices, and plant lovers are all welcome. IPR's Garden Variety Newsletter brings the gardening community to your inbox. Subscribe today and join us at ipr.org/gv.
It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. This hour, we are learning about Meredith Wilson. Of course, he is one of Iowa's most famous sons. He is the man behind The Music Man. And a new documentary, Meredith Wilson, America's Music Man, debuts statewide on Iowa PBS on February 28th. This weekend, in-person audiences in both Mason City on Saturday, Iowa City on Sunday, have a chance to be in the audience for a preview. You can find out more about that at iowapbs.org. They are free events. Iowa PBS is an underwriter of IPR. Tyler Brinegar is a senior producer and director at Iowa PBS and producer of the documentary. Janice Rod is here, staff member of Music Man Square in Mason City, and she played the flute for Meredith Wilson back in 1976, <laughs> which is pretty amazing, Janice. And so you grew up in, in Mason City. You moved there when you were 12 and, and didn't know much about Meredith Wilson when you moved there, but obviously you had a, a pretty amazing experience with him. What does Meredith Wilson mean to the people of Mason City, Janice? Well, he is our, he's our famous son. Um, you know, Mason City is about 26,000 people, and we're not a huge place. We don't have, you know, dozens and dozens of famous, famous sons and daughters. Um, so he really is our pride and joy. And he at least said all the right things about being proud of being from Mason City as well. As I mentioned earlier, and and this is shown in the film, he was in a pretty big hurry to leave Mason City, but he seemed to really have a fondness for Mason City. He seemed to love coming back to Mason City. Uh, You know, again, he came back for the Bicentennial, but he came back many other times, didn't he, Janice? Oh, yes. Yes, many, many times. And um, one one of the neat things about him is that he never forgot Mason City. One thing that I read that really made me laugh was on his radio shows, at some point, he would always mention Mason City, Iowa. And people out there in Hollywood used to take bets on how long into the show it would be before he said, well, in my hometown, Mason City, Iowa. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, so it's really no surprise that he he wrote his masterpiece um, about Mason City. Right. Well, Janice, thank you so much for talking with me today. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Janice Rod is a staff member at Mason or at Music Man Square in Mason City. And still with me, Tyler Brenninger, who is the producer of the new documentary, Meredith Wilson, America's Music Man. And before we bring our next guest in, let's listen to uh, a little bit of what we were just hearing from Janice Rod. This is from NBC's The Big Show. This was a radio show that Meredith Wilson was involved in in 1950, and it was hosted by Tallulah Bankhead. So we'll hear the host and we'll also hear some commentary from Jonathan Tunick, who is an orchestrator, and some narration, of course, by Sutton Foster. Meredith, Meredith Wilson. Yes, Miss Bankhead. The Big Show was radio's attempt to compete with television, and they got as many big stars to appear on the show as they could. And once again, the leader, band leader, was Meredith Wilson. He always seems to have a new song that he'd just written. This is the big week in football, the bowl games, you know. So I wrote a song from my home state university, Iowa. What's the word? (laughs) 
Though he began his career as a concert musician, Wilson's relatable homespun charm and his identity as an Iowan had become his stock and trade in the entertainment industry. Again, that's just a moment from the documentary Meredith Wilson, America's Music Man. And Tyler Brinegar is here with me. I also want to bring Leo Landis, state curator of the State Historical Society of Iowa, into the conversation. Hello, Leo. Good morning, Charity. Thanks for inviting me on. Thank you both so much for being here. And Tyler, um, as as Janice was just saying a few minutes ago, Meredith Wilson loved to talk about the fact that he was in he was from Iowa. In your film, Michael Feinstein <laughs> um, talks about how that was sort of a a role that he took on. It was it was part of his persona, and he used it to his advantage. What's your impression of of what that meant? Uh, it's a great point, and it's something you can't ignore with Wilson. It seemed to get him places. Um, I, it was an interview we had in our archive from 1978, and his health was poor later in life, uh, his mental health. And um, so we didn't use a lot of it. But in that interview, he states, uh, the, the questioner asks him, you know, here you are, young man, you land in New York. How did you get by? And he said, it turns out it wasn't that hard because most of the people in the orchestras were foreigners. They're people who came from out, out of either out of New York City or out of the country. And so he actually found something in common. He said a lot of them would, were Midwesterners. And Michael Feinstein told me that popular music in the early part of the century was written for the coasts. And so Meredith found a niche in catering to the middle of the country. And he was specific in his identity as an Iowan. But he was really using that to his advantage, and I think it's a really uh, neat way to understand him. Well, and Leo, you and I have talked uh, in a number of different ways about what it means to be an Iowan, what what saying that you're Iowan means to other people. And that was something that Meredith Wilson really mastered. And with the music man, I mean, he creates this place. He uses Iowa as a shorthand to try to communicate a, a great deal to the audience. Tell me a little bit about, you know, from a historian's viewpoint, what do we see when we visit River City, Iowa? This is a period in Iowa history and, and Midwestern history that Meredith is representing that it is a golden age for Iowa communities. Uh, Farm families are doing well in that period, which leads to prosperous, you know, mid-sized communities like Muscatine, which in 1910 is around 11,000 people. And you've got cultural activities coming in and new technology. So things like the Chautauqua would be traveling through, which would bring speakers and performers either of regional or national importance to, you know, help build character of a community, but also things like uh, film is being introduced. So Mason City gets a theater in 1906 during his boyhood. So new technologies, but also traditions of uh, Midwesternness. Th- that Chautauqua movement comes out of Western New York, but it really is is popular in the Midwest. And and I think that's part of the the duality of his personality as a person too. That's represented in his kind of mother's religiosity. That's part of Midwestern culture, and then his dad's kind of joy for life. And and though uh, as Tyler re- referenced, he and his dad didn't have a great relationship. Meredith shows that balance a, a little bit in how he represents Iowa in the Midwest with the religiosity, but also the you know enjoyment of just everyday life. Well, and I mean, there's no question that the Music Man is a a fond portrait of Iowa, and you know we know that Meredith Wilson was fond of Iowa and, you know, loved to talk about the fact that he came from Mason City. But Leo, I have to say, I was just re-listening to all of the music. And, you know, uh, I think that we love that 
we got paid attention to, but, you know, there's Iowa stubborn. Um, there's a whole plot line about the people of the town being so small-minded that they want to ban books. And so the, the library belonged to the town, but the books belonged to Mary and the librarian to protect those books from the people of the town. I mean, there, it's, a, it's a critique and a caricature as well. It, it really is. And I think that was part of its appeal in, in that it represents Iowa and the tensions in rural and, and mid-sized communities and, and larger towns, too, whether it be uh, protests in the late teens around uh, D.W. Griffith's birth of the nation in Sioux City and, and, and Des Moines are having, you know, black Iowans protesting that film is a, a bad representation of what blacks are like. And so there's a tension that we sometimes overlook when you use nostalgia as a lens on the past. And uh, I think you, with what you were referencing there, Charity, uh, he's able to work in some of those tensions in that fun-filled or comic way that makes you not think quite as hard about it, but he references them in the the musical. Right. Um, we have a... a an email from Leanne in Mason City, and she brings up a subject that I know uh, is important to you, Leo, and this is not covered in the film. You can only cover so much in an hour, so Tyler, that's not a criticism. <laughs> but uh, Leanne in Mason City writes, I would love to hear more about his sister, Dixie, whom I understand may have had a larger role in creating the Music Man than she's given credit for. I'd love to do more honor to do her contributions right here in River City. And Leo, that's something that, that you represent at the State Historical Museum. Uh, tell me a little little bit more about what we know about Dixie. Sure. She is a remarkable character and is, in fact, is a much larger national figure than Meredith through the early 1930s. Uh, She's his older sister. She's doing musical productions in Mason City as a young woman, uh, debuts a a play called The Green Heron, which actually played in a couple other towns in Iowa. She's writing screenplays. And so on a map that was created uh, for the State Historical Society as Iowa's coming up on its 100th anniversary of uh, the territory of Iowa in 1938, uh, an artist, Mildred Pelzer, lists who's famous from Mason City in 1934. It's not... uh, Meredith Wilson, it's Dixie Wilson, his older sister, who's a great talent and a national figure in her own right. Right. That's incredible. And of course, it's not too surprising that in this country, a a woman who was obviously a trailblazer largely has been forgotten in many ways. But it's wonderful to to bring that story and that history to light. And she was about 10 years older than Meredith Wilson. So, I mean, she she was probably a significant influence on him as as the older sibling. Certainly. And is, is one of those figures who's able to help him early on negotiate, you know, the uh, culture in New York and, and what it means to be a performer. So, you know, she's been been working in New York prior to Meredith coming there. So is able to, to lend him a little bit of guidance and advice as an older sister. And, and she was much like Meredith, uh, loved life, loved performing. And so perhaps was a bit of a role model for him, even as, as he was engaging in his career. Uh, Tyler, there's a, a, a thing that Meredith Wilson is incredibly famous for, although I think a lot of us don't know it, that we have not talked about at all. And, and Tim in Cedar Rapids wants us to bring it up. He wrote the song, It's Beginning to Look a Lot Like Christmas. And I, the, this film is when I learned that he wrote <laughs> that <laughs> right. song. But of course, it's a song that absolutely everybody knows. And Tim in Cedar Rapids said, uh, this is another instance of 
Meredith recycling his materials. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, and the Iowa fight song are very similar. Tell me more about that. You've got it. You know, that's a, a tidbit when you're writing a movie like this. First of all, the Dixie stuff I had in until the very end. And I had to drop it for time. Next time. Um, yeah, Maybe I know, a whole right? documentary about Dixie, right? The sequel. <laughs> I really wanted to get that in there. But, uh, of course, the same with the fight song and it's beginning to look like Christmas. Uh, obviously, everybody knows that song. And in some ways, it serves as this larger thing. At the end of the film, one of the interviewers says, um, everybody knows a Meredith Wilson song because of that song. And you hear it in the stores. You hear it everywhere. And if you look at the lyrics, it really does bear his um, his style and his charm uh, with words. Um, with the fight song, the Iowa fight song, his first one was sort of rejected. Uh, we we learned from the University of Iowa, rejected by the school, and the band director at the time gave him some notes and said, "Can you punch it up a little bit?" And if you sing along, both of them, he had a thing with triplets, and it's in both the songs, um, which are you know can be used as a charming sort of a friendly sound, and he uses that with the lyrics. And then the chord structures, if you just sang. Um, one of the lyrics on top of the other's music, you'll notice that the changes in the melodies are very similar. And, they, and he clearly kind of pulled out an old sheet, uh, piece of sheet music. And, and these songs were written, uh, I believe, the same year. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's so amazing. It's pretty incredible. I, right? I never, of course, I had never noticed that. But it's, it's mm-hmm. super fun to think about. And I don't think a... I don't think it shows any kind of a lack in Meredith Wilson. I think he was very clever for recycling his You know, if material. I could say, I think a lot of people think see that and maybe roll their eyes or something. But in fact, he sold the same material twice. Right. <laughs> and I think he's the smarter for it. <laughs> so we only have a few minutes left. And, and I would love to, to talk a little bit about... Um, both Wilson's legacy, which obviously is strong here in Iowa, but both of you mentioned how he really tapped into nostalgia and and to his um, prosperity. He tapped into our nostalgia, but also, as you were saying, Tyler, you know, perhaps after the Music Man, the fact that he really dealt in nostalgia failed to help mm. him embrace a lot of what was going on in the 1960s mm-hmm. um, where nostalgia was not what people were hungry for. But um, Leo, can you talk a little bit about one of the songs that that Wilson was very famous for and he wrote it as the end to his radio show. It was an homage to his mother. It's the song May the Good Lord Bless and Keep You and it really did play into our hunger for nostalgia. It, it's, you know, one of those standards that gets performed by a wide range of, audi- of, of performers. So Tammy Wynette on the countryside, Johnny Mathis, uh, British pop star Cliff Richards all record it. And so it, it does have a resonance uh, across a broad spectrum of, of performers and really does get his, his mother, uh, a writer for the Oregonian wrote in the, that gets picked up in the Globe Gazette in 71 says, her Bible that she got given to her as she graduated from Sunday school said, uh, keep this book, it will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. So that was a little bit of his mother's upbringing uh, that he had. And so creating a religious song like that and, and you know, reflecting on faith and that being kept and, and then meeting someone again, that idea that those times past, you're going to be able either in an afterlife or some other time 
uh, be able to reconnect, I think, was part of his uh, really resonance with a broad culture. Yeah, and we'll go out with Tammy Wynette's version of May the Good Lord Bless and Keep You Here in just a moment. But Tyler, I mean, you've learned so much about Meredith Wilson, and you're sharing it with all of Iowa and probably well beyond Iowa as well. What is the one thing you'll take away from this experience? Well, geez, good question. I think, um, you know, I said earlier the the idea that genius is actually just um, determination in disguise. Um, You know, we live in changing times, too, and I really wanted to set his life up against World War and Depression and nuclear standoff, right? The 50s were a scary time. The song that Leo just talked about, May the Good Lord Bless and Keep You, that was popularized when people didn't know what was coming with the standoff with the Soviet Union. So Meredith found a way to sort of, um, you know, at times he was nostalgic, but he addressed what was going on and he saw, where can I help? Where can I, maybe not help, but where can I um, um, have an impact and reach people? And I think that's um, important for everybody. It's certainly important for me. Uh, as times change, don't give up. Keep fighting. Keep trying and apply your talent. Tyler Brenniger, thank you so much. Thank you. Tyler Brenniger is the producer of the documentary Meredith Wilson, America's Music Man, which debuts statewide on Iowa PBS on February 28th. In-person audiences in Mason City and Iowa City will get a preview this weekend. You can find out more at iowapbs.org. Leo Landis, also here today, state curator of the State Historical Society of Iowa. Talk of Iowa is a production of IPR News. This episode produced by Samantha McIntosh with technical support from Danny Gear and Tony Sarabia. I'm Charity Nebbe, and we'll go out with a little Meredith Wilson by way of Tammy Wynette. Back up every you Fill your dreams Never mind what might happen. May the good Lord bless and keep